Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. Joining me, as usual, are two real academics from actual institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the Maximus Decimus Meridius Center for Roman Studies here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're talking about a new discovery from early Roman Jerusalem, an incised stone with names and possibly numbers or quantities from the Pilgrim's Road which connected the Temple Mount with the Tyropean Valley. It appears to be some sort of receipt incised on a piece of limestone from an ossuary. But what Shimon, the name on the stone, was buying or selling is unclear. So what was it about pilgrimage to Jerusalem, which Jews were commanded to do three times a year? Was the associated commerce actually more interesting than the religious celebration, at least for understanding Judean society and Jewish society at large, in the first century BCE to the first century CE? How far did you come for one of these pilgrimages anyway, and how many Jews were religious, so to speak, in the first place? All we know is petty tyrants can accomplish great things. Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> in a, as has become my usual magnanimous um, <laughs> uh, statement, does anyone else have a lightning round? Well, I, I, I had some ideas for a lightning round. Are but, they fully fledged? Are they fully fleshed? Sure are they, they are. Fleshy? <laughs> are they? I'll, I'll give you my, I had two ideas for a lightning round, so you can have your choice. How's that? I'm not sure that's how the lightning round works with <laughs> multiple, <laughs> multiple possibilities. Okay. Um, so although I, I, I should mention before anybody does a lightning round that I have a, a, an idea for an alternative to the lightning round, it would be called Fun Facts. <laughs> Isn't that really what our lightning round? Maybe are? we should let the listener choose. Ooh, are you souring on the lightning round? No, no, just trying to keep it fresh. First, you're sort of outsourcing it, and now yeah. you're sort of a little bit of sour. <laughs> it's it's sweet and it's sour, just I, like I think me. The lightning round is our signature. I'm not sure we can. We can change that, but uh, that's right. It's, it's I guess that's really the only reason why the person keeps tuning in. <laughs> the one listener, over and over again. Right. Well, maybe the listener will have a preference. Fun facts or lightning round. But just to keep us on track, I'll tell okay. you. Okay, stay on round. track. Uh, I'll Go tell ahead. you the lightning rounds, and then you can decide if you want to answer them. Okay. Um, so, favorite highway. That's one lightning round possibility, and the other one is favorite. Um, uh, Main Street for shopping. Yeah, those are good. Yeah. What's yours, Alex? Your lightning I'm, round. I'm going to save mine now. Okay, fine. Um, favorite highway. <laughs> the, the Major Deegan Expressway. <laughs> Ooh, that, that, the Major Deegan, firstly, the main. I mean, yes. you know, it's such a hardcore name, right? True. When I was a kid, I thought there must be a minor Deegan somewhere. Sure. Ursa right? Major, Ursa Minor. Major right. Deegan Minor. It, it's the F sharp Major Deegan Highway. Right. <laughs> um, no, I think that would be I think that would be my my favorite local highway. Okay. It takes you where you want to go. You can go to Yankee Stadium. You can go away from Yankee Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> you can jump off at, at the Hunts Point Market. I guess you could. Yeah. Uh, That's about uh, it. My favorite highway. 
I don't know. I you can go many directions there. You know, for well, it for, is a highway question. Well, so right, <laughs> very good. <laughs> I mean, Pacific Coast Highway heading north out of Malibu. Yeah, I don't have. I mean, I did. I've done that a couple times. I don't have any real. It's very beautiful and very nice. But it, you know, everything out in California seems it, kind of it's no major Deegan though. Well, it's kind of like <laughs> they're just it's kind of like it's kind of like a made up land out there, you know. For an Easterner, right. for Northeastern to go to California, it's like, oh wow, isn't this isn't this cool? Look at this. Like they have their own, a whole little life like this. It's not yeah. a real place though. It's not a real place. Right? <laughs> um I don't know, man. I've got highways from growing up that are favorites and you know, route one to nine. I mean, it's going to say route one only because if you live in the Northeast, you you know, there's route one in wherever you go, there's route one, right? That's very true. true. You okay. know, so there's always a route one. That's very so true. Speaking of route one, the post road, the old post road. That's uh, right. I was thinking of the Jersey Parkway. Sure. You know, mm -hmm. The parkway, because that takes you down the shore. Absolutely. About the turnpike, because. Man, when you got your license and the first couple times you drove on the turnpike, <laughs> like, oh my God, I made it out alive. <laughs> That's also <laughs> very true. I yeah. learned how to drive on Route 128. Oh. At rush hour. When all the when all the shoulders are turned into actual lanes. Oh, 128. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. So right. it was very much a sink or swim kind of situation. Right. 128, yeah. Hmm. Um, Dr. Halloween. <laughs> Careful, that nickname's going to stick. It, oh, stick. It, it most definitely should. Good yeah. old autocorrect. Um, my favorite highway is the Merritt Parkway in Connecticut. And New it's York. It's uh -oh. scenic and it's got these lovely bridges, stone what bridges. What turn into in New York? What's it called? It's the Hutchinson Parkway, the Hutchinson the Parkway, yeah, which is another lovely place to learn to drive. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. So now we've each, um, described our favorite highways. Mm -hmm. um, anyone want to talk about the relevance <laughs> of this lightning round? <laughs> well, um, going to be oh, sorry. No, no, please. <laughs> going to be taking a uh, stroll down the pilgrim's road in yeah. uh, Jerusalem. And, uh, which is just as fun as the Pacific Coast Highway. <laughs> well, uh, currently it's it's sort of underground, so it would be more like the Big Dig, whatever highway that is in Boston, mm, uh, than, any, than anything else. But um, linking uh, sort of the temple area down to the uh, bottom of the Terrapone Valley. Yeah, uh, at the Pool of Siloam, right? Well, yeah, and so um, it, it links the the sublime with the quotidian. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just throwing that out there. Well, okay. wouldn't if what you were a pilgrim, the sublime to the aquatic. <laughs> <laughs> That's another way to look at it. Um, it. But if you were a pilgrim and you had to go up to Jerusalem um, three times a year for your for your annual pilgrimage. Would this the first time would probably be pretty cool. The second time would be great. The third time it would be like, okay, it's all a bunch of cheap tchotchke shops. I'm I'm tired of them ripping me off. Right, and for the sixteenth time, you would there be a sixteenth time? Yeah, would yeah. there or would there not? And do we have the receipts to <laughs> to oh. show it? And now we're getting to what we're actually talking about. Right, yeah, so well, wanna, somebody had to do it. So, <laughs> someone want to provide a little context? I'll provide a little context. Um, yeah, it's a little. Yeah. It's a little piece of stone. It's a little piece of stone on which um, are some letters and and numbers, and it looks like it's a receipt. And um, of course, I didn't write down the details of it, but there's one <laughs> proper name. I think it's it's Shimon. Shimon. Yeah. most popular name in the second temple period we're told over and over again that is correct right. and there are two letters that are repeated one stands for one is a mem for was it minas i forget no, that's oh, not my oat. My oat, thank you and uh and the other is um see i should have written this down what is it it's a race it's a race 
for a quarter, for Reva, for a quarter of miners, I suppose, for Maot. So yeah, so we got these two denominations. It looks like it's a receipt. We don't know if it's a a sort of if it's what is owed or what is paid, but it looks like it's a receipt and it's written on, it's incised on um sort of sort of a piece of scrap paper, um, is how I'm that's, interpreting it. Right. That's the scrap big limestone. Scrap limestone. Convenient to tuck into your wallet, George Costanza style. <laughs> this is a perfect filing system filled with little rocks with uh, cryptic names and numbers on them. Yeah. And the, the piece of limestone that it comes from is probably the lid of an ossuary originally used um, in a secondary burial, which is very common in the Roman period. Oh, we should probably say that we're talking about the Roman period. We're talking about the either the first century BC up to the first century of the common era. Um, so early Roman period, early Roman. And this, this piece of a lid of an ossuary was, I, we don't know, discarded, we assume broken. So it was just used um, as a piece of scrap paper. Carefully. Well, well that's the big question. So th this is a, uh, this is the only such find from the city of Jerusalem, though there are similar kinds of, uh, inscriptions with names and amounts uh, or, you know, sort of monetary considerations found elsewhere. They're found in Jerusalem. They're found in Beit Shemesh right. uh, for uh, the same time period. And the fact that they're from, at least the other examples are more clear that it's from an ossuary lid. But I think we, I think everyone seems to think this is an ossuary lid. Um, and then the question then is, is it a piece of scrap paper or is this some kind of a tabulation inscription from an actuary ossuary lid by the ossuary manufacturer? So, you know, is it an all-in-one, like, here's your ossuary, here, let me work that out for you. <laughs> you, you owe me eight dinar um, and it's right here. So that <laughs> that's a big question. Is it a, is the inscription sort of primary uh, or is it, you know, incidental, like uh, sort of a, a, a later day ostracon. Um, and I so hadn't that, thought about that. I was assuming it was secondary. Clearly, I was assuming that. But well, uh, in, the, in the article, they, they brought up the possibility that it might be uh, what is either owed or uh -huh. what has been paid for okay. the production of the ossuary itself. So that, I think, is a really interesting side angle to all of this. It um, is. And they, the article raises the Point, and this is an interesting point of, you know, it's another indication of the kinds of things and the kinds of commerce that's going on inside Jerusalem, software <clears throat> production. Um, so uh, that sort of, you know, it sort of expands our knowledge of, you know, commerce mm -hmm. and, you know, the kinds of industries that are being practiced inside the city of Jerusalem. We're on this pilgrim's road, this big stepped road, uh, beautiful stone road that's been uncovered under uh, the village of Silwan, uh, associated with, it's part of the city of David excavations, and it's a tunneling project. Um, uh, it's certainly producing archeological material, but uh, it is a tunneling project. We've talked about this before. And I thought, Rachel, do you wanna talk about the tie-in to two of your, two of your favorite um, sure. geologists? And you've written about one of them. I've written about one of them, and he's the only one who's my favorite. The other is really not at all my favorite. So, so <laughs> in my... <laughs> well, it would be nice. To... Actually, that would be more interesting than anything. Why? I'll why... talk about it then. Why I do you love Bliss, and why do you not like Dicky? Right. So, so Bliss, Frederick Jones Bliss. I wrote a book about him a number of years back. The uh, book. What? The book about the him. Book. I wrote the book on Frederick Jones Bliss. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, he was an American archaeologist who was working for the British um, archaeology organization, the Palestine Exploration Fund. Um, but he was American, although that's not really relevant to this conversation. And um, he was the first, well, technically the second um, archaeologist to really work for this British organization and do all sorts of digs for them. This was the second dig he did at Jerusalem down near Mount Zion, uh, just south of the old city. And um, he was- He was an Amherst man, wasn't he? He was. He was an Amherst man, yes. Um, very good. Oh, you yeah. actually read what I wrote? <laughs> he played on the 
on the field hockey team or something, didn't he? Uh, something like that. I might his be family, making that part up. Family... You're, you're making that. You're trying to disparage that <laughs> character by by putting him on a minor sport. The Bliss family was good friends with the family of Emily Dickinson. Really? So you know. Yes. And Frederick Jones Bliss's younger brother, Howard, who became followed his father as the second president of um, Syrian Protestant College, now American University of Beirut, um, he was a classmate of um, Emily Dickinson's brother, I believe. Does that sound I'm right? We're not getting too far afield here. <laughs> Bliss excavated this area together um, with somebody else appointed by the British organization, Archibald Dickey. And um, the reason I'm not pro-Dickey and am pro-Bliss is because I wrote a whole book on Bliss. And Bliss was eventually fired by the organization and replaced by Dickey. It was kind of a really nasty move. Um, so hold it, hold it. Why was he? What fired? are you, his lawyer? Was There's there a lot cause? Of, read my book. Uh, there, no, there, there, there was not really good cause. They said he had too many sick days. They said he overspent money, but the truth was he didn't. He also did really good archaeology compared to everybody else in the 19th century, but that meant he was digging more slowly and carefully, and they wanted fast. <laughs> we can't, we can't have that. Right. So he was at odds with what the board wanted. Um, so that's yeah, that's why he got fired. But it was it was kind of a nasty business, and they replaced him with Dickey, who was really working as his assistant as well as an architect. Now let me get back to <coughs> fired the in favor of your assistant. Yeah, it's nasty, right? Did they get along. Um, they seem to have at least until actually they did because Bliss writes this letter um, to his family after the firing, saying he doesn't blame Dickey, and you know it's not his fault. When I think Dickey was kind of in on. The whole thing a little bit anyway that's a whole other story a whole other story right it's this is what i do yeah and we'll okay. post the link to uh professor <laughs> hallett's book so yes. that the listener can go out and buy multiple copies it makes an excellent gift for <laughs> weddings right. um bliss and dickie had to tunnel when they worked in jerusalem in the 19th century because the wakaf didn't want them um you know coming around and, and destroying religious areas, um, areas of religious significance. So they tunneled underground, which was not the best way of approaching things. And isn't it interesting that today they're sort of tunneling again to continue this excavation a hundred plus years later, about 130 years later, um, they're tunneling, but now they're doing it in a much better way with better lighting. <laughs> better lighting. <laughs> it's better illuminated. All those YouTube videos look great because the lighting is really, <laughs> really working. Right. Yeah, well, we don't need we don't need to get too much into the issues involved with tunneling. Probably not the best archaeological practice. Right. I don't want to encourage but, tunneling necessarily. Right, and uh, obviously there are very very specific reasons that they are tunneling. Right. Is they're tunneling under a a village that's that's uh, being that's inhabited um so so there's all of these kinds of things um but go ahead, they're go removing ahead. a lot of dirt and they have this you know quite extraordinary system of buckets on a kind string. of a, more than a string <laughs> it's uh, a pulley yeah it's a whole right. whole system um, and obviously, when you're removing this much dirt from any place in Jerusalem, as we've learned from other big dirt moving operations, you find stuff. Right. Um, cool and, stuff. And they find cool stuff. And this is the latest piece of cool, fine stuff that they've found. And, and I just need to say one thing here about Bliss, because this this was this was not found in situ exactly now. It oh. was found in a dump site that, or, you know, the debris that Bliss and Dickey left because Bliss and Dickey were using candles and they missed stuff. So they couldn't see the inscription very well. That's easily. right, kids. If you're going to be tunneling, <laughs> again, what's the word? Lighting. <laughs> it's too bad. I mean, they miners had those helmets with little candles in them. Yeah. That's true. Why that's couldn't they use those? That's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. But regardless... Um, Regardless, um, I, I don't want to put too much blame on Bliss because the conditions were not so good. Bliss well, he was a sensitive blame, soul. Blame was a sensitive soul, actually. I think that was his nickname, right? Blame-free Bliss. 
Anyway, go ahead. So, so it's they, not optimal to tunnel. No, and it's certainly you're not going to find things in C2 if you're tunneling. Um, well, I mean, I, you can get lucky and find. Some I guess kind you of could, deposit. but it's sort of right. You know. Yeah. But um, if you're tunneling someplace that's already been dug, yeah, <laughs> chances are you're not going to get as lucky. But still, cool as you say, cool things are going to turn up in in large quantities and. It's just a good thing that they took this little piece of stone out and kind of washed it up and looked at it. And lo and yeah. behold, a receipt, a receipt of some kind. So we have a receipt, a 2000 year old receipt, which speaks to the issue of save those receipts. Mm -hmm. Ever you do save those receipts. Right. Uh, and in this case, uh, it's a receipt for possibly an ossuary or possibly just a piece of, you know, a piece of scrap, <laughs> scrap stone. <laughs> so here's my question. Suppose you did buy an ossuary on your pilgrimage to Jerusalem or, or on your way home. Did you, did you have to carry this thing with you back to your native village? Was the, was it delivered in some way? Yeah. Or would it be shipped to you later after you get right. home? Or was it, or, or was it, I mean, it could have been someone local. Well, right? that's true too. Yeah. Right. Uh, <clears throat> we certainly know that there are lots and lots of ossuaries in this time period, from uh, especially in Jerusalem, of especially all places. Every uh -huh. nook and cranny, um, exactly, is is filled with ossuaries. Every little cave, every little everything. Yeah, so it could have been yeah. something local. Um, I'm not buying. I'm not buying this whole buying the ossuary thing. I want to explore a little bit more the uh, using it as a piece of scrap paper because they were selling all sorts of stuff. This is a major market way. You're walking up this step. It's all uphill, by the way, from the Pool of Siloam. Both ways. Both ways <laughs> to to um, the temple area, and so it's this stepped street, right? So so there are shops all over the place. You can be buying everything. You can be buying I don't know water from the Dead Sea. Could be, but that um, speaks to the issue of how handy is it to have a receipt on a piece of stone? <laughs> well, I, right. A dirty <laughs> secret. <laughs> That's fine. I want to. I want to get this out here too. So it's some sort of a receipt, or is it the vendor making a note for himself about who's paid and how much? Or herself. Or herself. Okay. I mean, Good you point. know, we have these, you know, these ancient Mesopotamian beer gardens run by women, so. That's true. We could have market stalls run by women. Oh, parenthetically, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to interrupt both of you and and just raise publicly a message that we got from the listener regarding the Mesopotamian beer gardens. Oh, boy, we're um, really just all over the place. Praising <laughs> praising the, the episode, but asking why it couldn't be uh, people, why it had to be for dinner and not breakfast or lunch. So yeah. maybe we maybe it wasn't so much a tavern as a diner. So oh, I just throw that out there. That but really that also had, you know, there also must have been receipts associated with that. And yeah. one of the little light motifs of this particular find and the way it's been presented in the media is, oh, we have receipts from 2000 years ago. Uh, isn't it just like today? And it's like, well, we actually have receipts from, from 5000 years ago. Uh, and 4,000 years ago and 3,000 years ago. So this idea of receipts as being something novel is is not novel. We right. have lots and lots of accounting and receipts from the ancient Near East, from the earliest point in time when they're writing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So and, is... and even in the Levant during the Iron Age, there's right. a relatively okay number of receipts <clears throat> written in pen with pen and ink on... Sure, on, that is on pottery, much lighter and cheaper and um, easier. So the other thing, Rachel, actually, that's I'm glad you brought that up because they do mention quite a few times how the inscription was done with a sharp, you know, tool, and yeah. to write in stone is is so much more difficult. That's than, a good point. Than writing on uh, on a on a shirt with ink, so. Yeah. That might skew the interpretation possibly towards ossuary production okay. as opposed to uh, uh, more of an incidental kind of receipt. Okay, that, that's fair. That's fair. Um, although I'm still going to, 
I'm still going to argue that it's a receipt, but maybe they wanted to keep it, you know, for next year's taxes and he wants to be a little bit more permanent than on a ink insured. I don't know, but. Well, that could be. I mean, I, see, I, I think the big issue is, the, the big <laughs> issue here is, is mass literacy. Oh, back to that. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't think we can talk about writing without talking about literacy. Okay. <laughs> it's like the two go hand in hand. <laughs> and, well, and uh, you know, n nobody is arguing that the, uh, that the Roman period. I was going to say. Is, is not ma massly literate. It's so literate that they have to write stuff on, on stones. Right. They're just writing all, all over the place. But does this, does this throw into some sort of contrast the epics beforehand where literacy was not so much of a thing? It's very much argued about for the Iron Age, percentage-wise. Mm -hmm. um, well, I don't know. Or is it just not relevant? Have I just raised an irrelevance, irrelevancy? I don't think we have any problems with raising irrelevant issues. I think <laughs> that's, we sort of made our bones on that. Yes. But, um, but no, I think that's a good question. And I think it's certainly a question that outstrips my you know, capacity. Uh, I would certainly say that there's that literacy rates are much higher in the Hellenistic and Roman periods than any period before Prior. that, right? Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I think that there's probably a high, pretty relatively high level of literacy. I, I think to the extent that, you know, we're talking about buying and selling, I think the vendors have to be semi-literate be, because they need to keep a tally. Otherwise, they're not going to know, they're, they're not going to know what they're selling and they're, they're going to lose track and lose money. Um, right. So I think that's probably, you know, that, that doesn't mean they're fully literate. It means they can do enough to write receipts. Right. And in the Ati Code article, they actually mentioned that due to the shape of the letters, it was a non-professional mm. scribe. Right. So, uh, and that's a point that's made regarding, um, you know, whether, you know, regarding the inscription in general, but it raises the issue of the, um, you know, how, how literate the, the overall population is. Yeah. So that would suggest a high level of literacy. Right. Or high level of semi-literacy. <laughs> sort of well, like what's today. the def what's the difference between semi and and, and full? <laughs> um being able to read and write um poetry and read, I don't know, the poetic uh, part. Back to Emily Dickinson. Back to I was thinking more in terms of like um Jeremiah, but yeah. Um but yeah. Um, I've always liked Emily Dickinson, by the way. Maybe that's why you like Bliss. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> so those family relations. It's the chocolate and peanut butter of nineteenth, late nineteenth century northeastern <laughs> intellectuals. That's true. Um, well, unless you have another comment on this on, on the literacy, I want to take this in a different direction. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is something that was not brought up explicitly in the articles, but JP, you were talking about this before we started to, to podcast, um, which is uh, the fact that this news story has been promoted um, right around the Jewish holiday of, of Shavuot. Um, and this is a pilgrimage holiday, right? So here we are talking about a pilgrimage road. And while the articles didn't actually talk about this holiday, that's why it's kind of being discussed in the news now. And I think it's important to note that there are these pilgrimage holidays for for Jews and others, and um, that uh, you know coming up to Jerusalem at particular times of year was a thing, um, even before the Roman period. Theoretically, it was a thing by even in the Iron Age. Right. So this is this is a very particular road, and also pilgrims would come from all over the place right to get to jerusalem and this road is going from a particular spot to jerusalem this road is going from slightly south of jerusalem to jerusalem so not all pilgrims would come to this marketplace well you say from all over they come from all over judea good point so you're talking what's the maximum distance that you think anybody would come <laughs> 
Um, I'd have to pull out miles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the Roman period. So that that's actually kind of an interesting point because in these, you know, in empires, you have big, you know, free trade zones. People can range all over the place. And um, I hesitate. That's a characteristic of empires is that it's a huge contiguous area that is free of borders. Hmm. So uh, we know that there are Jewish populations all over, right? All over the Southern Levant, all over the right. Levant. All over Egypt, Egypt, up and down the Nile, into Mesopotamia, in, Babel, in Mesopotamia, Greek islands, yeah. um, right? North so, Africa. North Africa, Libya. exactly. So there's nothing to say that some of those pilgrims are probably coming from pretty far afield. Fair enough. I mean, some, but that would be sort of the next step in the analysis. Right. Is to, uh, is to try to figure out the, um, you know, sort of the, the catchment zone of these pilgrims. Well, this is, this is sort of what I was getting at. So if you're, if you're a Jew living in the Galilee, right, you come down to Jerusalem, you have to make a special trip. If you want to go to say the pool of Siloam, that's the only reason you would be on this highway. Otherwise, you wouldn't be frequenting this market. You'd be frequenting whatever other markets. So, so this highway was conceivably more frequently marketed from people coming up from the southern reaches. Um, Unless because of its proximity between sort of lower part of Jerusalem and sort of the temple area, unless this was the preeminent market, mm. right? This was like the big most robust central market with the most activities or Good the most point. activity, right? So maybe, you know, maybe that's, that could be one thing. I mean, clearly we don't know enough about all of these things. But it is uh, interesting to think about it. Be absolutely right though. Cause, cause yeah, if you're coming from the galley and Jerusalem's your destination, you're going to explore all of Jerusalem, right? You're not. Right. Gonna... And because this particular, I wouldn't call it a highway, but this particular road is so beautiful and well-made right? Uh, as if, and, and we know that there's a lot of, you know, commercial activity from the fines that I think we can certainly say was probably pretty popular. Yeah. 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 Good points. One thing I wanted to bring up in a different vein was the, um, the authors of the article in Atikot uh, mentioned that they don't know if it is being written in um, Hebrew or Aramaic. Right. Um, though, there, no one is loath to not use the term to use the term Jewish inscription when I think it would be better to say Hebrew yeah. or possibly Aramaic, um, as that's the language usually refer to inscriptions by their language, right? And not by their religion or ethnicity. Yes, that was a really weird elocution in that article. Yeah, right. Was that in the scholarly article? I think it was also mentioned in Atikot that the a Jewish inscription, um, but um, it's certainly in the newspaper articles. Yeah, yeah. Um, which one can expect because this is, you know, the this is sort of the holiday fine du jour, right? right. So we have the release of, um, you know, big fines at Pesach, Passover, and Sukkot, and Shavuot. Um, I yeah. It's the three. It's the three big holidays. Right. Well, it's and the three big, you know, pilgrimage holidays. Right. And the up uh, and sort of the upbeat ones. You're not going to you're going to release anything on Yom Kippur, um, and Rosh Hashanah. I guess I don't know if there are releases, but we do know that typically Hanukkah. There's Hanukkah is a big. Oh one. right, and Hanukkah. Right. Yeah. So um, there is this sort of it's a it's a tie-in. Yeah, it is a tie-in. <laughs> If you got it, flaunt it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's just how it works. And I mean, right. this raises all sorts of other questions that we probably don't want to go into, but, you know, how many Jews actually were religious enough, observant enough to go on these pilgrimages three times a year? Um, it's expensive. Well, how many people could afford it? First yeah, of all? exactly. Just, I'm taking off for for two weeks right. and then for for Passover and then... You know, seven weeks later, I'm taking off for another two weeks <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> for Shavuot. 
Right. I don't know. Just in terms of the agricultural economy, these harvest festivals seem to throw a throw a monkey wrench into the uh, into the works. What's yeah. the English for Shavuot? It's Festival of Weeks. Is it Pentecost? Weeks. Is it? I think it's Pentecost, but I really need to look that up. <laughs> should look that. Should have looked that up before. Oh, I was going to say. I just know it is Shavuot. This is the looking up. We should yeah, need. Right. We need some looking yes, up music. <laughs> Got it right. <laughs> well, you know, the in in the classical period, certainly for for Passover, the there are explicit accounts that talk about um, all the people flooding into Jerusalem and how jam packed the city was, and with the merchants, and you're selling all these visitors various sacrifices that they're supposed to take on up to the temple and have. Uh, have you know actually sacrificed on the on the spot so it's a big bustling active messy kind of enterprise at least for a couple of weeks a year yeah right. and what happened the rest of the year is it just does it go back to does jerusalem go back to being kind of a sleepy backwater second rate <laughs> roman city with with this well, unhappy, um, you know, political relationship with the empire or, you know, is well, it just. So that's a that's a good question. And I think that. I think that in, in the Herodian period, Jerusalem was was not so sleepy. Exactly. But it, that Herod really was was quite an audacious builder and yeah. was recognized for that, you know, pretty thoroughly throughout the Roman Empire. Yes. And and Jerusalem was probably a, a pretty splendid example of, you know, what these a what glittery these... a glittery yeah. orb. Exactly. The... <laughs> if you, if you read your Josephus, you hear the very careful descriptions of Jerusalem. Right. And, yeah. Okay. And I but... think that the, the temple complex, you know, was a was was pretty magnificent and was regarded as pretty magnificent. Pretty right, but Jerusalem was one-tenth the size of, let's say, Antioch. Okay, that's fine. Um, and it was one-hundredth the size of, of Rome itself. Right, also. but I don't think that's where the comparison fits in, right? I don't think that's the comparison. The comparison is, look what this vassal king is able to accomplish. He has built, you know, Jerusalem. He's built this incredible temple in Jerusalem. Literally. Right. He's built these roads, right? The pilgrim road or the stepped road. And obviously this isn't the only example, but there are other things. And then all of the other things that he built. So I think it's sort of more, I think the point of comparison is um, <laughs> look at what these petty tyrants can accomplish <laughs> when, they, when they tax their people into complete and total submission and don't care about um, their reputation. Um, yeah. They can accomplish great things. Um, <laughs> isn't that adorable? <laughs> if, if 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 there has ever been a piece of timeless wisdom on this broadcast, that's <laughs> that's it. Um, right, because it's clearly you know I know Antioch and Jerusalem. You're you're no Antioch. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, but maybe that's uh, maybe that's how a lot of these different little petty tyrants uh, tried to distinguish themselves. Yeah. With all with a lot of glitter. Yeah, they're little bantam roosters running around puffing their chests out and crowing and all that. Right. Yeah. I I built a hippodrome. Right. Uh, you know, to show how how cool and with the Roman program of Romanization and and abject right. vasseldom I am. And right. Herod did all that. That's exactly yeah. what he wanted. Yeah. So I think Jerusalem was probably pretty, you know, pretty stellar. Yeah, um, even in the off season. Yeah, right, <laughs> I'm not going to <laughs> go to Jerusalem and Shavuot. It's crowded. The prices are too high. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go in March. Some <laughs> things never change. <laughs> I'm going to go before the holidays. That's right, and it's too hot in August. Yeah, uh, it's a good thing there are no holidays. Right. Well, Ooh, interesting. Is that a coincidence? More than a coincidence. <laughs> I think not. <laughs> Oh, well, but let's go back to this so-called receipt itself. Oh, okay? yeah, what to say? Good. <laughs> no, I just thought I'd just circling, circling back. Okay. Um, this was something that was, you know, 
identified or dislodged from its primary context a hundred plus years ago, 120 years ago, whatever, and recently re-identified. So it made me think, as we so often point out, that how much stuff we must have missed. Sure. And, you know, certainly from the perspective of, of just inscriptions alone, these little these little dashed off items on stone, much less these zillions of of ostraca that that the three of us have ourselves pitched into cotton fields um, <laughs> accidentally accidentally trying to see who can throw it the furthest yeah and and the ways in which it skews our um, vision of revision we're revisioning what these periods were were like because you know as we were talking i queued up corpus inscriptionum judicarum from Mm -hmm. of of uh, papyrus inscriptions from more or less contemporary egypt Mm -hmm. and there's a zillion of them there's whole archives of this stuff and all it says is you know he paid his tax this guy paid his tax that guy paid his tax he paid four he paid three and you know it's it's that's just the medium but in an area where the medium is is different uh, <laughs> where it's it's rock and it's um sherds and papyrus doesn't preserve so well we have a different kind of uh, picture of the of the economic history necessarily right. we remove the message from the medium <laughs> that's right very good. Very good. Our Marshall McLuhan, you understand nothing of my work. <laughs> and I've also said this before on this podcast, but you know, we do have lots of seal impressions. Those seal impressions were were pushed into clay that was sealing possibly papyrus documents. So, you know, there we've lost a lot of inscriptions that were made. That was my point. Yeah, it's sort of in in a way the Southern Levant is is one of the worst of all possible environments. Yeah, for preserving anything or organic, certainly outside of you know a bunch of caves in the in the Judean desert. Yeah, but uh, but we know also that you know there are a handful of papyri from the Judean desert from these periods, which are you know talk about contracts and and business arrangements and stuff like that and it's all over the rest of the ancient Near East, so it has to be going on here right back to literacy literacy if if you have literacy then you know you're reading <laughs> yes. and you're writing i mean we can't speak about that in today's world so much literacy yeah with literacy really on the downswing well, it's being reduced back to its pictographic origins. Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> For all you Instagrammers out there. Exactly. We've become much more icon and video based. Right. And, and, and as we know, with podcasting, audio based. That's true, too. Right. It's the oral tradition that we're trying to <laughs> preserve and, and pass down to our our descendants. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it is interesting, actually, the whole emoji phenomenon. And I use emojis way more than I should. Um, <laughs> for, it, for a woman of your of your age and stature. Exactly. What um, would Emily it, Dickinson think? <laughs> I don't know what she would think. She she did weird punctuation things. So she might like it. Yeah. So do my students. <laughs> she would just type out LOL. Don't your students do weird punctuation things? Of course they do. They don't do it on purpose. Emily Dickinson did it on purpose. They might be doing it on purpose. We don't. We don't know. I don't know why they're doing the things that they do. Well, that's that's true. Uh, beyond autocorrect, I'm really not sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. But I, I think emojis are. It's amazing how much you can express uh, with just a symbol. Right. Um, right. We had lost, and now we're getting it back. Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, we're, we've been getting it back for a long time because that's what that's what branding is all about, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Nike swoosh, Adidas, three stripes, uh, and on and on and on. Apple. That's a very good point. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been pretty pretty right. much. And if our listener were Chinese, he or she would be going. <laughs> yeah, really. Welcome Come to on. my world. 
I got 4,000 of these things to remember just to address a postcard. Right. <laughs> well, are we, uh, any last thoughts? Hmm. Um, I like to think of, of Jerusalem perhaps, and perhaps this is misleading, um, that this pilgrimage road and the Cardo and the other grand shopping areas that they had, um, display it was very much like a typical middle eastern city as we imagine it today with big piles of stuff but there are also signs hmm. and you know there's some sign that says you know joe's ossuaries with a picture of an ossuary perhaps well maybe yeah. or, or just displayed you don't need a picture because your wares are displayed never mind <laughs> right and uh you know there that the that the the written word complemented the the imagery and that this was, you know, kind of the kind of the peak of of that, and it, and in that sense, it, we it would appear very familiar to us. Okay, yeah. My final thought is more of a question that we haven't discussed yet, which is, um, was this long street, which was a marketplace, was it shaded? Um, you know, because it's hot in the summer and it's going to rain in the winter. Um, and especially your fall pilgrimage festival, where this is literally <laughs> the beginning of the rainy season. That's what you're celebrating in part. So, um, you know, were there shades? Were, were there the equivalent of canvases? Were there roofs? The excavators would have seen well, if there was roof debris, probably. Well, there um, can't be. Canvas is cotton. Yeah. Well, okay. It's also canvas. the Roman period. So, you know, they could have had. Right. Could, have king. could be hemp um, shades. Yeah. It's <laughs> right. Yeah. Then the, the hemp shades catch fire. Right. <laughs> and back could to be leather, could be anything. <laughs> nobody works for three days after that because they're just <laughs> decked out. Yeah. Uh, okay, that was just my my glass question. Yeah, I could I could imagine that it's that there's awnings and shades. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of picturing like the 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 old city today where you know there are streets, but there's so many awnings that you're really barely barely exposed to the elements right well we know in the in the uh crusader period that a lot of these markets are enclosed and have and roofed okay so but i i would think that they were covered in some way sure okay well, thank you <laughs> you're most welcome <laughs> what's your final thought my final thought is we need to combine the uh taverns and the commerce mm. and so that we have you know places to places to sit down and have a have a cold one in the middle of that heavy shopping day pre-holiday shopping post-holiday shopping you know picking yeah. some stuff up before you return to wherever you came from shopping right right it's like the food court in the mall exactly yeah undoubtedly there were such things Right, because otherwise people that. would be dropping left and right of starvation. We would find we would find that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, they wouldn't just leave the bodies there. Uh, does this mean that that as opposed to other periods, perhaps earlier periods, the Roman period is more like us? Is it somehow more noble, understandable, relatable, or is that some sort of conceit or misguided nonsense? Well, you know, for some, for people, for someone like myself who, who works in the Bronze and Iron Age, the Roman period does seem very modern. Yeah. Very familiar somehow. I, I always feel that the Roman period, the, that the Romans led directly to the European Middle Ages, which led directly to us. So, so I agree with the familiarity of it. I mean, that's what I like about, about prehistory these days, because it's just so different. Right. It's just so wacky. Yep. I know. Yeah. Well, knowable in a made up sort of way. Well, obviously, <laughs> this, is, this is a podcast after all. It's not a film strip, but um, yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's the knowable and the, and the less knowable. Yeah. And okay. and, and well, from Carl a couldn't have put it any any better. From a little receipt, we we the distance between us and them is reduced a tiny bit more, eight letters more. That's, that's okay. good. 
that's good. Yeah, that's a good place. Good place to stop. Yeah, we better. We better stop. Oh, hold it before we stop. <laughs> we we just received some good news. Did we from Asor Central? Oh, right, 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 right. We're right. gonna oh. be we're gonna oh. be giving a little live talk about uh, about podcasting and maybe even replicate some of the more jocular moments of this podcast <laughs> at the uh, Acer meetings that will be held in Chicago. That's right. In November. Right. In November. So if you, the listener are around in Chicago in November, <laughs> come on by and, and we'll, we'll shake your hand and autograph your, <laughs> bring <laughs> us, autograph your mug. Bring now us available on Redbubble. <laughs> bring us a receipt, like bring us a piece of pottery and we'll, uh, Right, or a piece of limestone. Just don't or chip it of off limestone. of the facade of the hotel. And <laughs> <laughs> this man says that he's with you. <laughs> Sorry, officer. We've never, never seen this individual in our lives. Yeah, but it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. I have a lightning round, as I've said. Well, don't tell us. It has to be. No, no, no. You're nothing if not prepared. <laughs> well, prepared. We'll be very well prepared. We will be. All right. Okay. okay. On that note. Uh... Well, this episode has me thinking about putting all my receipts in order. So as always, we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, Community Engagement Coordinator for the Chicago Philharmonic, for our theme music. Look for his performances in the Chicago area and follow him on Instagram at, at 54BPM. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, the Dumont Television Network, a division of Yoyodyne Propulsion Systems. Be sure to watch Joseph Schildkraut Presents, Thursdays at 8.30. To get in touch, leave us a comment or hit the little heart-shaped button. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at ThisAncient and on Facebook. Contact us via email at ThisWeekInTheAncientNearEast, it's all one word, at gmail.com. Or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.